An appropriate follow-up to last week's podcast. This podcast is a chat with professional storyteller Johnny Willicks. For those of you who had listened to the last podcast, I was talking about songwriting and brand storytelling and telling stories that impact the the communication between you and your customers and sales pitches and so on and so forth. Johnny has been a professional writer for quite some time. He's currently um, on a promotional tour of his very first foray into the children's book market with his character, The Hurry Furry. And for those of you who are thinking that this may not have much relevance to business and writing sales pitches, get stuck into it and you'll see that the similarities between the, the two forms are very evident. Um, Johnny talks about having an understanding and a respect for the audience using language, um, the limited amount of, using the right kind of language, sorry, um, the limited amount of time you have to make an impact and how to keep attention and so on and so forth. And what he also does is talk about the uh, challenges of bringing that book to market. He's got four or five other books in the pipeline. I mean, this is a guy's craft since he was in school. So he has been writing nonstop, incessantly for years and years and decades and some of you may only have been writing one sales pitch ever or writing the content for your website once every three years so this is about repetition this is about resilience it's about never giving up he has a quote in the middle of it all from someone who said that a professional writer is just a, an amateur who didn't give up so i'm delighted to bring johnny um to the podcast i hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I enjoyed talking to him, he's a real interesting fella. And um, here we go, Johnny. Thanks very much for your thanks for your time this morning, Johnny. I apologise for whatever tech issues we've had, but we've made it. How are you? No, no very well, Paul. Now it's a good day. How can you not feel good on a day like this? It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I want to put a bit of context and sort of character to the conversation here, Johnny. So can you give me a bit of background? on yourself and your writing and how you came to this point in your writing journey? Yeah, sure. Um, I think you can call me a creative. Um, and I think if you were sat here talking to, let's see, the literal kind of business entrepreneur, they'd be telling you about the first time they made their first 150 bucks at school and so forth. But with me, I remember the first time I wrote a story. Um, and it was kind of primary age in primary years. And um, it was about a monster um, coming to get me, which probably tells a lot more about my life at that time than um, anything else. So I think if it was written today, you'd have people knocking on the door asking questions. Um, I remember in secondary school, um, I wrote a follow-up to Strindberg's Miss Julie. So it was a, a play, um, and it was about the aftermath of what happened in the play from the viewpoint of um, the service staff, the housekeepers, and so forth. And th th those I those were the pivotal times in my life when I began writing. Um, and I think from at a school age, my only pleasure from school was literature and drama. Um, everything else just seemed meaningless and pointless. So when I took my A-levels, I did a drama course in the city centre of Manchester, uh, which is far, far away from the suburbs where I was raised. Um, and it was at this point that my love for theatre and playwrights took off. And, you know, I would literally be reading a play a night. And um, do you know where the best place to read is? 
Go on. On the loo. <laughs> of course, yeah, why did I ask? Of course it is, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> I would lock the door, sit down, and um, I would just lose time and read. And so from that point, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a playwright. Um, I found writing dialogue extremely easy, and I found reading plays, I could just get straight into kind of my imagination. Um, I could escape from reality and kind of enter new worlds. That's where I was coming from. Um, you know, I, I love reading, you know, people were looking at porn and I was reading Shakespeare. You know, that, that was the yeah. stage that I was at in life. Um, and I just loved it. So I moved to London from Manchester at the age of 19. And at that point, I was thinking of becoming an actor. I got an agent, had a few roles, um, theatre mainly, a lot of fringe stuff in London. And then I ended up working in the West End, um, behind the scenes, so production teams, management roles. And then for a while, I was, you know, I was meeting all the A-list Hollywood celebrities and mixing it up, living a flamboyant life. And then on the side, I was thinking, right, these people can help me, you know, um, get up with my writing. So I, I began writing plays again, and I'd get actors in, and I'd do kind of rehearse readings and so forth and see how it go. Um, loved it, but it never really took off. And I, you know, I would, um, I would write a play and put it into a competition. And at that point, my mindset was, if I didn't win the competition, I would be no good. That was it. It was the end. I've got to start again, try again, and try something fresh. Um, so I kind of carried on with that. But I remember there was one time that kind of changed things for me. And I know you're a man of music, so um, I was walking through Soho. It was a sunny day like today, earphones in, and I was listening to Paul Weller. And I don't know if you know his song, um, Science. Yeah, come across that song. Just really, yeah. Um, yeah, great, great song. And I think um, Paul Weller himself, he kind of talks that it's about things in life that, that you can't explain. Um, no matter how much science there is, there are things that you can't explain. And there was one lyric in the song that just kind of stopped me dead. And it, that lyric was, I have a pen in my pocket. Does that make me a writer? And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, okay. Am I a writer? Is this what I want to do? What's going on? Um, and at that point, I just got together with um, my now wife, Sinead, and I was kind of explaining to her, she said, go man, just do it. So I went back to school. I went back to study and I, I did a BA in English literature and creative writing and then carried on and did a master's in it. Um, I don't know why, um, I felt the need to do that. Um, I don't think courses necessarily teach you how to write or give you, as you say, structure and um, the bones of, of how to move forward with your writing. But um, it is, it's kind of years later, um, there was a quote by Richard Buck, um, who was a 1970s writer, um, an air pilot, and he said, um, a professional writer is an amateur who keeps going <laughs> and that kind of balanced my Paul Weller lyric that was annoying me um, but I wanted to answer Paul Weller's kind of rhetorical question with a yes um, and so I went back to study after all my studies I got into theatre and education so I began writing plays issue-based drama on bullying sexism racism etc and um, 
I became a resident writer with a theatre in Hampshire, England. And then one of my favourite plays was on disability. And it was a it was a comedy called Able for Hampshire County Council. And it was kind of raising awareness for disability. Um, I don't actually know how I got away with doing a kind of an absurd comedy on disability, but um, they loved it. And so from that point, um, this is what I wanted to do. Um, I then began writing courses and classes. I got into kind of corporate training, writing kind of plays and, you know, theatre as a foundation for the training um, with issue-based drums and so forth, um, which was great. It was, it was feeding my urge to write and my kind of creativity, if you like. Um, and then soon after that, you know, I began delivering workshops with an emphasis on soft skills and motivation. And that was again for corporate, but mainly in education. And then I joined an organization where I was kind of creating training programs and delivering training within education. And again, that satisfied at that time my urges and my creativity. I was there for over, let's say, 10 years. Um, and then obviously a marriage she made, and then four years after that, she gave birth to twin girls. We moved to Ireland, um, which I didn't realize was in the wedding contract. <laughs> um, but you know, love it here, love it. But soon after I kind of, employment was difficult. I was still going backwards and forwards to England doing work over there. And I eventually set up a company called Fearless Futures, which was focusing on personal development for young people. Um, I then wrote, as part of that, the, the study skills revolution, which was a book on mastering the art of study, um, with a focus of eighty percent being motivational and then the twenty percent being the technique of how to study. So it was very much kind of a mindset that I was looking into. Um, and then, as aside from that, I began writing my first novel, um, which was a working title, Becoming Dad. Um, which is a, it's a male Bridget Jones-esque kind of character wading through the pregnancy months and what it's like. And that purely came about because, uh, I don't know, when, you, when, when your wife becomes pregnant, you're given all these books on how to survive children and so forth. And for me, they were all just banal. So I wanted to write my own fun way of looking at it, which um, I'm nearly finished, but it was that that kind of led me to writing for children, because for the last 15, 20 years, I've been working with young people, um, which I love. I absolutely love it, and you can help. You can help inspire them. You can help. You can give them aspirations, um, but it's the what is it? It, it, it? It's it's getting messages through to them and, and how you can do that in a clear way, but in an entertaining way. Um, and I suppose during the first lockdown, so kind of moving on quite a bit, during the first lockdown, I was becoming very frustrated as a writer. So with my, the novel that I'd begun writing, um, I wasn't getting the time and then because you say you don't have the time you're making excuses for the work not to be done um we'll put so. some just put some uh, a time frame to this johnny so you, you you got you really um began writing at a very very early age presumably you had a lot of encouragement from 
teachers or there were people around you who were saying that your writing's quite good and you you then kind of retrofitted your education you got into um, studying quite late yeah um, so there would be encouragement with writing but at the same time and I guess if you ask you know going back to that quote there's no you know all professional writers who are amateurs that didn't quit is that you can say everybody has a book in them everybody wants to write I want to do this and another person wants to do that somebody's got works that they've written that are gathering dust in the attic and so forth and so a writer kind of often writes in seclusion and then what makes a big difference when writing is being able to share it so overcoming the mental kind of difficulties do you have your confidence of sharing that once you get over that um which is a huge hurdle once you get over that you can progress and move forwards um can you trace can you trace the time um did you do a lot of your early writing in seclusion and then do, do you remember when you kind of um broke out of the chrysalis yeah i i think my chrysalis was broken more recently um i would say in the last four years um that i've broken that edge and really kind of focused on my writing and that's purely because the passion and the urge and, and the, I would say the need um, to do it because you go to bed at night and that's what you're thinking about you wake up and you're thinking I've got to write um, I've, I, I need to do this I have to get something down doesn't matter what it is so you continue to do that you know you going to cafes having a coffee and you know doing a bit of writing there but um, that sense for me of, of breaking this mold, this chrysalis was lockdown, um, I guess, and taking it to a more professional and serious level. So I'd written my study skills guide, um, that was great. And then I started during lockdown, you become more aware of what's happening around you. So. I was fortunate that um, Sinead knew my kind of my need, my thirst to kind of write. So during lockdown, after a while, you know, you've got the homeschooling, and then it's like, right, go up to your office, write. So I was ordered to go up and write, and that's where the Hairy Fairy was born. So as an example, how that was, what that was born from, was the fact that twin girls, the same age, uh, um, two fairies. So every time a tooth fell out, they'd get their golden nugget, they'd get their pound coin, but the tooth fairies would write them a letter. Now, unfortunately, um, I didn't realize how many teeth would fall out and how quickly. <laughs> so there was a lot of letters being written and the, the, the characters were born, their fairies were, their tooth fairies were born into characters and these letters would become bigger and bigger and bolder and bolder. And, you know, in the mornings, the first thing they'd do is they'd get the pound and they'd run straight into the bedroom, jump on our bed and um, want, want us to read the story from the, the tooth fairy. So the original idea was um, to rewrite the tooth fairy letters into a children's book. Um, so when I sat down, I thought, right, that's what we'll do. But it just it, it, it wasn't working. It, it didn't fit a mold. Um, and then at that time, I started Storytime with Johnny, which was an online Facebook 
um, story time that would go out to the local community and, and the children and so forth. And so it was part of the kind of activities that we're doing with um, Clonmore Youth Club. So we'd do that. Now that gave me the the confidence. Um, what size of an audience were you were you, were, were you reaching with this, Johnny? So again, that was young people. That was kind of five to twelve year olds. So I would pick a story, read it. You know, Jack and Ori, kind of you know bedtime with Johnny and so forth, and it was great. I then started to write. Oh, sorry, sorry, man. What 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 sort of numbers were you tar- were you hitting? Um, that was probably, and again, it was just local, so it was probably reaching to about two, three to six hundred people. So just, um, just three to six hundred, yeah. Okay, so that, that um, been able to tell a story like that in front of two or three people, never mind three to six hundred, is quite a skill. So your your storytelling capability or how you tell a story is not just the written word; it's the oral presentation of that as well, right? Yes, definitely, okay. definitely. Um, and that's, you know, when you're talking of stories, that's where it can fall down as well, because you're not going to have a six or seven year old reading a story necessarily. Obviously, when they when they get up a bit, yes, but you're going to have the parents involved. They're going to be reading to them and so forth. So they can be quickly turned on or turned off. Um, so what's then happened was because of all the the COVID outbreak and mental kind of toughness, um, you know, young people, what's the, you know, um, there would be suicidal thoughts come in, depression comes in, um, social media, the the online presence of social media is, is awful, everybody having to look good and so forth. It's a horrible. It's a horrible. It's a horrible uh, time in human history at the minute, right now, for for growing up. You know, um, those mental challenges and the keeping up with the Joneses and feeling inadequate and lacking in confidence. Um, it's just horrible for children right now. It's very not horrible. It's a very difficult time for them, for sure. No, it is. So that got me to thinking about their, you know, about young people's mindsets, their low self-esteem and the confidence levels and so forth. You know, it, it does, you're right, it goes on. So I still wanted to write about fairy because that was the topic of with the girls. So I wanted, I was writing it for them, not for a bigger audience. I was writing it for our girls and then looking to see what I could do with it. Um, and everywhere you look about fairies, you know, fairies are perfect, um, you know. They look happy. They 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 your cuddly thing. They're, they're independent to you, and everything's magical, and wonderful. So I was kind of starting to think, well, what if a fairy wasn't perfect? You know, what if a fairy was hairy? You know, what if the fairy was a bit dumpy? You know, mixed coloured eyes and doesn't mix with all the other fairies and only played with pixies and goblins and so forth. You know, but yeah, what if that? hairy fairy was happy and content with the life that she had um so that's the premise that i started with is is kind of it's okay to be different you don't have to be like your best friend you don't have to be this you're not you are you so um but what you need to be is the best best possible version of you so that's what i was after um and the story itself, I had no idea where it was going to lead me. Um, so from start, to, from start to finish, how long did it take you to create the Harry Fairy character? 
airy fairy character probably took me in all honesty it probably took me about six weeks um i would say i would say about six weeks but the journey itself to publication was probably about two years <laughs> so, and so just for we had, we had mentioned this well I, I i was telling you the story um before we we hooked up on air here um that I was at a conference, a sales conference um, in the late 90s, and one of my um, bosses began her session in sales by reading the first four lines from a fairy, uh, uh, sorry, fairy tale, a children's book. And at the very end of what she was reading, she said, does that sound easy? Um, you probably all think that's easy to write, but that's a lot harder to write even a children's book. And she went into talking about the importance of language and the importance of structure and the importance of storytelling. And I'm sure for a lot of people listening to this, they think that, you know, um, six weeks to, to create a character like the Harry Furry, you know, it's it's kind of difficult for people to fully understand what goes into that. Yeah. If you were to ask me to write a crime novel, as an example, forget about it, <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense. You know, I, I would probably end up using every cliche known to man or, you know, end up writing a poor man's kind of, Raymond Chandler novel. Um, it, it, it's you have to kind of know your audience. So I don't think you can necessarily sit down and go right today. I'm going to write a children's book, or you know what, I'm going to write a, a Mills and Boons novel today. Is is that you have to know who your audience is. So for the last, if I, I said earlier that you know for the last. 15, 20 years, you know, I've been kind of working with children. So every time I'm in front of a group of children, whether it's one, whether it's five, 200, is that I have to know my audience. I have to know the tone that I'm speaking in, the words that I'm using, and the atmosphere that I'm creating. Then kind of you move on to the fact that um, I love creating kind of worlds um, in a childlike manner. Uh, when I was studying, for example, when I was doing my, my degrees with writing literature, um, there was a module on writing for children, but at that time it didn't interest me. Um, and it did look to me, uh, no, 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 I'll do, I'll carry on with my playwriting and so forth. This it looks slightly too difficult. But because of my years working with children, that's where the turnaround has been. From my years of kind of reading stories um, to to my girls, um, that helps understand. Even watching Peppa Pig, is that you get to know the language, you get to understand the types of words and so forth. So, for me, that was part of it. And then when I started on the hairy fairy kind of trail of writing a children's book, it became second nature in a way i knew how i wanted to write it i wanted it to be kind of um in the first person narrative which sometimes they say is not the best way to do it um but for me it was it only had to be that way because it was the hairy fairy and it had to be from the hairy fairy's perspective about the fact that she is hairy she's got dumpy legs um she sits on top of rainbows while all the other fairies kind of come through to our world and so forth so um, it had to be her speaking, otherwise it wouldn't make any sense. I also wanted kind of 
um, rhyme to it. Um, I was there had to be a beginning, middle, and end. Um, and I think if you go back to kind of Aristotle as an example on the art of poetry, when he talks about poetry, he's talking about writing in general. Is that there has to be a middle, beginning, and end. And certainly for children, you need a clear beginning, middle, and then the the, the, the kind of the conclusion, um, the end of the story. So with that in mind, and I think if you watch, um, I think the best example of that is probably Disney's Aladdin, is that there is a definite beginning, middle, and end. Um, it's worth a watch, bearing that in mind if you watch it again. Um, so, what happened? What happened then is that um, I wasn't sure about kind of when you're talking structure. I wasn't sure about necessarily kind of what structure to use apart from what I'd always what I've already said to you. So it's kind of I was creating my own structure, um, and I think the thing that gave me solace in that is that if you look at a classically trained singer who follows structure. Um, follows the rules um, you'll get a great song but then if you get a non-classical singer who bends the rules and structure then it's a completely different version of a song as a writer um, with structure and rules and so forth it's what's I think is imperative is that you have to find your voice and when I talk about a voice is that it's, it's your style it's your writing um, technique that nobody can give you. Um, you can't go and pick it off a shelf and say, I'm going to write like that because then you're imitating other writers. It's your voice that's um, important. And that comes from, as a writer, that you have to read every day. It doesn't matter what it is, you have to write every day. And you're looking at any work that you're reading in a different perspective. Um, and then when you suddenly, after time for me, certainly with children's books, it, it's that voice slowly comes into play and it settles onto you. So with the structure for the hairy fairy, first person narrative, rhyming verse, um, but following a story with a beginning um, that doesn't necessarily come from anywhere, but it leads to somewhere. Um, I think that's important. Um, so you just on the on that structure, Johnny. That's interesting um, that you kind of created your own uh, the, in a previous podcast, which led me to want to speak to you because of the art of storytelling. Is yeah. where people are t talking about brands and they're talking about their businesses, and normally people who are for the uninitiated. And you're a really good example of this because you've ultimately spent. 70% of your adult life fine-tuning a skill. So you've gone through the, the, a lot of the failure and failure and failure and the idea of, you know, the, a great, the great line is a, um, a professional is an amateur who doesn't give up and you didn't give up. And I've got some clients that are writing content for a website once every three years. So they're not skilled writers to start with. They write sales pitches that they write once every two years until they realize it's not working and then they try again. And the art of storytelling that I, I have seen is based on really clear structure, be it the monomyth and Joseph Campbell's hero's journey of the 12 steps 
or yeah. um, basically it's been broken down recently by one author into context, characters, problem and resolution. And yes. so you've kind of created, created your own. Do children notice the difference? Do, do children notice that in the middle of all this, that, that um, a, you're showing them a character that they're not used to seeing, you're showing them, it's really iconoclastic, you're showing them a character that is not like all the other characters that they have seen. You know, this character isn't uh, the best looking, isn't everything is perfect, isn't like Cinderella. Well, if Cinderella is a good example, actually. <laughs> but but, it, but isn't like your stereotypical princess, you know, uh, and your furry and that. Do the, children, do the children understand the composition of characters and structure and, or do, do they do, how do they respond to this? They respond well. Um, they respond very well, and I think um, no matter what your audience is, is that you have to give them much more respect than you think. Um, if, if you're writing and you think, ah, you know, they're just kids, or you know, these people in sales, they don't really know what I'm trying to get across or what I'm really selling here, is that you can't treat them as dumb animals, is that they are aware. and especially children, if they don't like something or they can see straight through what it is that you're doing, then they'll turn off, they'll turn away and they will start doing other things. Um, so it, it's it's really important to get, it's, it's a fine line between giving the audience the information and yet not giving everything. And I think the best one of the best examples I can think of that is um, obviously you've, you've Ernest Hemingway. Um, his short stories are just amazing. Um, if you want to have a look at one, it, it's um, Hills Like White Elephants. Um, I won't tell you what it's about, but he, you don't know what it's about and what these people are talking about. It's up to the reader to, to figure that out. Um, it should be apparent towards the end, but in no part of that short story does he say. So it, it's kind of what you put in, the clues that you put in against what you leave out, which is so, so important. Um, I'd read um, that. Hemingway's The Old Man and Sea recently, and um, yeah. it's a Spencer Tracy movie from way back in the 1960s or 1950s, it's a brilliant movie. Um, and that myth about Hemingway writing the shortest, the shortest sad story of all time, six words, for, yeah. uh, for sale, children's shoes for sale, never worn. Um, and he, he's a brilliant example of that craft of economy of words and letting the, yeah. letting the um, reader work harder for the story. Yeah. yeah. You, fill in the, you fill in the gaps, don't you? No, it is, it is. And then, especially when it comes to kind of writing for children, is that it, it's, you can't, you know, you can't make it long and kind of laborious. It's that you have to be selective with the words that you write. Yeah, it's like a sales pitch, you know, the elevator pitch is that you only have a certain amount of time. If you go over that time, the interest is gone. So, so how do you keep their attention, Johnny? You have to, storytelling, I know you said it last time in your podcast, you know, it's been around um, since the dawn of time, um, you know, going into kind of even to the Westerns and so forth like that, and the great American West stories were a big, around the campfire, 
talking about stories, ghost stories and so forth. Um, and it's the same. To tell a story, it has to keep progressing. It has to keep going somewhere. And that's, that's vital, um, whether it's writing for children, writing crime, writing um, a sales pitch and so forth, is that it has to keep going. So you finish one full stop and it moves on to something bigger and better. Um, that's it, it's critical. Um, yet at the same time, without giving everything away. So you know, it, it's I've talked about Hemingway, and it's the same. You know, it's the iceberg theory. It's you know, eighty percent is under the water, twenty percent on top. Um, but to 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 keep the attention, it, it's it's back to the words that you use. So it's and it's back to your audience. And I, you know, one of the problems with children's books and the audiences who is the audience because obviously first instinct it's the child is the audience that's 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 the audience but the child isn't buying the book the parents buying the book so you have to buy in get a buy-in the parents as well so your the market for a children's book is both child parent um which is tricky you have to please them yet at the same time they have to understand what it's about and then to be able to relay it to the children. Um, and then for the children to kind of, you know, be going around the house at night, no, the hairy fairy, the hairy fairy, the hairy fairy. And it kind of etches into their mind that way as well. Um, but it, it's short and sweet, short sentences. This is for children. I think it should be the same with kind of sales as well, is that statements, you say something, full stop and you carry on um, and that keeps the attention and keeps it moving forward does that make sense to you no well i think absolutely i think you've got a, a couple made a couple of really really valid points in all forms of writing you know some of the notes that i'm taking down about you know you have a limited amount of time um to get a message across because you're competing for you know um playstation you're competing for um another book, um, you know, Peppa Pig, you're competing to go outside, you're competing on a whole range of different levels. And the, the similarly, when you're trying to get somebody's attention to tell them anything, it's not that they have nothing else to do, you have to make um, your, you have to get your point across really quickly, concisely and clearly. One of the things that I'd said, and I do a lot of presentations myself and was working with a team of people the other day, is I think the first rule of anything is to make sure that you're understood. For, for doctors, for lawyers, for dentists, for policemen, for salespeople, for storytellers, you have to make yourself understood because you can put all this effort in and if people don't get you first time around, they're not going to invest the time the second time around. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, and that, I think, comes under, you know, when you're writing, no matter what it's for, is that it's the words that you choose. So if you take you know communication skills the you know the choice of words is the least important and then it's your tone of voice and um the, the your body language and so forth and you can kind of relate that into when you're writing so you know it's it's the words that you choose but it's how you put them into a sequence it, it's how you create imagery it, it's how you create um the sounds of the words, how do they follow on from one another? And and the ease of reading the text. And I, I think that's a litmus test because you have to read 
it's certainly for me with children's books, I have to read the text aloud. I have to, to give it some energy um, to make sure that it flows and can fuel the reader's imagination because it, if, if it's clunky, if it's disjointed, then that's where the reader will turn off because it, it just doesn't sound right. And yet, if you have the sound of the words, you know, and that's, in a sense, that's to me is what poetry is all about. It, it's the fluidity. It, it, it's, it should flow, you know, like the river band, you know, it should just kind of flow with so much ease that it feels perfect. You know, like Roger Federer hitting a tennis ball across the, 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 the court and so forth. It has to look easy. Um, and that's the difficult part. There is, um, talking about books earlier, I'm sorry, I'm jumping kind of to a different ship here, but have you come across The Elements of Style by Strunk and White? Uh, yes, I have. Um, that was mentioned in, um, the reason I know this, uh, somebody very kindly gifted me a Christmas book by Stephen King on writing. Yes. And Stephen King talks about those guys in the middle of all that. and. Um, am I right? Am I? Am I on the right? Yes, you are. Yeah. Okay, and um, you know, it's. I, I'll let you carry on the second. I have to say that Stephen King book is is on writing is amazing when he is able to fully crystallize the importance of studying English properly at school, or to this one's to all of the curriculum vendors out there, the importance of selling English to children. And the importance of being able to write the use of adverbs, passive and um, active verbs, you know, what not to do. Uh, he said, um, you know, uh, there's a whole lot of stuff I could talk about in that book, but you carry yeah. on, man, because yeah. I, th- I, I didn't get that at school, right? And here's the thing about uh, just sort of a bit of a confessional moment. I was, I wrote a poem on war in the academy in Dungannon. My teacher is still alive, and I don't care if he hears this or not. His name was Sean T. Hughes. And um, I wrote this poem, and I thought it was pretty good at the time. And he said to me, um, when he came round the class, it was my submission to the school magazine called The Breastplate. And he said to me, where did you copy that from? I said, I didn't. And he says, where, you, you didn't write that yourself? And I said, I did. And he didn't include it in the magazine, the bastard. And I... Um, that stopped me from that stopped me from writing. Yeah, you see, that's, that's at the age of fourteen. That stopped me from yeah. writing, and that's the truth. Nah, uh, you see, that's that's. If someone says to you, I mean, but that's a kind of. It sound. It started off like it was going to be a compliment. There, you know, that you can believe that you know you'd written this. It's amazing, well done. And then he emits it from, you know, that's that's that destroys people. It's like you know, something you can't sing. You know, you can't draw. That sticks in the mind. But the, but there was there, there was three or four things that he did, Johnny, in the one sentence. He basically was saying I was a liar. He was basically then saying I wasn't capable of writing English. And then he basically said, don't 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 bother trying. And you know he did it in front of the class too. And those those things like kind of uh, they never wash away fully, you know. No, no. So go back to your your strunk and whatever. Go back to that bit you were talking about. No, well it just. This book, uh, from memory, I think it was written uh, about 1919, and it was a university professor, and he'd give this to all his English students, say, read that, and you'll be grand, basically. And it was his kind of, to write good English and to be able to write proper prose, 
it's all in here and it's it's you know i dare anyone to write a sentence doesn't matter what it is um and then edit that sentence take out words take out words because you can bet your dollar that you know you will be able to get that sentence down to about half of what it was yeah. if that makes sense to you and it, it's, it's just it's again it, it's the style so you have to think about the style which is it, it's so so important so it, it's your voice it's your style and it's knowing what to leave in and what to leave out and that is all part of the editing process doesn't matter what you write first of all you, you can write 10 pages but you only use one page is that get it all down and then edit 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 that's that's so so important um so it's uh, the only reason that came to mind is when you're talking to people um regarding kind of you know sales pitches and writing for a specific um market or audience is that you're telling stories you're telling stories and you have to tell your story with great gusto and passion and, and self-belief if you don't have the self-belief they're not going to buy into the story uh, the, yeah so so and this is Debbie yeah so the the idea that people can listen to or read the first version of the hurry furry and go sure I could do that that's real easy and they apply the same logic to um, selling or you know what, what, writing any book is not easy first of all th th that's fact yeah. you know um, but being able to be critical of yourself and edit and make things and revise and revise and revise takes time and it takes patience it also takes a degree of self-respect for your own ability to know that what you're doing is for the right reason um, and it's it's a it's a skill that you've fine-tuned over like a few I would say a few decades now I would say so yeah yeah um, and it's just going back to that, um, and you mentioned earlier on about you know the chrysalis, what made you break through, kind of um, your inhibiting barriers and so forth. And it's there has to be a point in anyone's life where it's just to hell with it. You know, I, I actually don't care what people think. I don't care what people kind of say about my work. I believe in it. This is right. Does that make sense? To totally, you? good it's, man. Yeah, good man. You know, um, you have to get to that stage as well, um, you know. And if you're afraid, write write on someone else's name. You know, <laughs> get up to them. Um, it, it's yeah, no, that's vital. Um, and of course, you know, adults love children's stories. As part of um, corporate training that that I used to do, I'd always incorporate, like you were saying earlier on, children's stories. I'd always get them to do presentation skills. You know, to read aloud, chicken licking and to get them to animate themselves and and so forth because you have to get into a mindset you have to lose control of yourself you, your inhibitions and it's the same when you come down when you sit down to writing is that you can't restrict yourself you can always hit delete 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 but get down onto paper and then work from there you can't work on a blank piece there has to be something on there so writing it um, is one thing. Johnny, how do you publish it? Um, so, I mean, there's obviously various routes to go down. So the, the, the first route is you can kind of get an agent, go straight to a publisher um, and wait on them, or you can self-publish. 
I was fortunate. I was all ready to self-publish because I just my urge at the time and my my my, my need and thirst to to get something out there. Um, I didn't care how to do it. Um, there's a lot to be said for self-publishing as well, but um, I was lucky enough to get a publisher um, online, and the way that that worked was artists and yearbook. Um, they bring out artism, artists and writers yearbook, and there's one that comes out every year. And um, for anyone out there who kind of wishes to get something published and they want to um, look at kind of different publishers and so forth, is that don't buy the, the book, the paperback version, buy it online because you have lists and lists and lists of all the publishers throughout the world. So, you know, UK and Ireland, um, you know, and then further out. What then happens is that on the online version, you can then teeter down to the ones that are best suited for your genre, for your kind of pieces of work, um, which is great. You then, and if you Google how best to kind of approach um, publishers, it's again, forget it because there's it seems to be like every man and his dog has um, an idea of what to do and the, the, the basic premise is that send your work in write a synopsis um, and write a sales pitch about it and you need a bit of your history not too long but just a bit about yourself um, and then being a first time author that's the tricky part because more often than not, it goes onto a slush pile and you'll have the students reading it and they'll then recommend where to go to next, if they'll pass it on or not, or if it's a no. Um, so create a spreadsheet of everybody that had sent it to, the date and so forth, and then when to follow up and so forth. Um, very important. Um, some people didn't come back to me, others did. Uh, and then I was fortunate enough for Pegasus Publishers um, came back and said that they would have been selected into the next category. So the person who read it passed it on. The next person read it, passed it on, and then it went to the main editors, the main publicists, and so forth. So there was a, a string of waiting time for that to happen. Um, and then, obviously, get the illustrator, then you get the proofs and so forth. So it was a journey, and it, it did. It took about near, near enough two years as a first-time um, author. Two years? Then, sorry? Two years. Two years, I'd say it took. So this was 2020, and we're now 2022, and I had my launch there. Um, well, it, it was published in March, but I had my launch there um, last month. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a long wait for the first. Then you then the second one, it's not too long. Um, hopefully, touch wood. But um, that's what I've been promised. So yeah. Um, and then, you know, I was fortunate, so it's in um, W.H. Smith's Waterstones, Foils, um, obviously Amazon and so forth like that, um, the online kind of retailers. Um, but then it's up to me, so the, the publisher will do their, their thing in marketing and, and branding and so forth, but there's a lot of kind of weight on the author to do their bit as well. So, um, and it's that where, you know, as a writer, I'm beginning to build my brand and beginning to build awareness of who I am, what I'm about, and what my stories are about, um, which, which, and that's where I'm at. So for my book launch, is that if you have a book launch, you know, how, what's the best thing to do with a book launch? Should I, you know, it's a children's book, should I do it at a library, should I do it at school? 
in a park so I just do it at home um, so I kind of went all out and thought you know what it's a ferry there's ferry trails in Northern Ireland let's do that so I, I did the book launch at the um, the Galvon Castle ferry trail awesome and um, it was great there was awesome. probably throughout the day um, there was probably about a thousand people who attended um, which was terrific and you know bouncy castles face painting there was kind of um Barbara Melton Fox, she was doing her relaxed kids there. Um, my wife Sinead, she was singing. Um, and then obviously I was doing readings in on the ferry trail in the woods and so forth in a little theatre. So um, it all that then starts to build awareness, starts to build um, my brand. Um, and then the marketing then follows that and so forth. Um, and then obviously you have to keep the momentum going. So. Obviously, I've, I've written my, I'm, I'm still carrying on with the hairy fairy. Um, everything's still going towards that. Um, you know, I was, I worked with Invest NI, um, who took an interest in my work and so forth. And then I was given um, Bridget Duggan, um, who has her own consultancy business. I don't know if you've come across her at all, Paul, but um, she then helped kind of help me formulate a business plan um, through Invest NI. And, you know, I'm using that business plan to date. So I'm now kind of looking into getting the books into schools, doing kind of storytelling workshops, um, children's writing in schools and so forth, um, you know, working with various trusts, um, mental health people um, or campaigners and so forth. So I'm starting off kind of locally and then building it out, build, branching it out, branching it out. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm in conversations with obviously um, the National Trust, again, keeping it local and then branching that out. Um, so yeah. Um, That's a lot of hard work given given that, you know, if you think of the investment of time and effort to taking the book to where it's at, from a distance, all of this looks ever so easy. You know, all of it looks, whenever you've got, I'm sure you must've been a very, very proud, um, to hold a copy of a book in your hands for the first time and for somebody looking at that you know just taking a glance over thinking oh really well done Johnny but actually that's not like going out to spend nine hours in a building site or whatever I would rather be on the building site <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's hard work man that's a lot of hard work in selling it it's a lot of hard work in getting the the bringing the product to market and then selling it it's, I guess it's just like anything right it is it, it's you know i want this to work for me as a business and so it's i'm not just uh you know i am johnny i'm a writer that's the last thing that i would say although give me two years ago that would be the first thing i'd want to say i'm johnny i'm a writer but now so I, I would rather not say that i'd rather say that i'm a storyteller and that then kind of provokes a bit of interest and starts a conversation if you just say i'm a writer oh, all right yeah, yeah you go, what have you got published it kind of there's a double negatives that then come on to the other person but if you if you kind of again choice of words that you use if you say i'm a storyteller oh wow well, what does that mean you know what do you do da, 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 da. it opens up a conversation um and it's all about how to pitch but um you know first time writers it's a disaster and that kind of receiving the books and then opening the box for the first time and seeing it you have that proud moment but it soon disappears because you kind of go freak I gotta sell these books now, you know, I've yeah. gotta get this into the open market and kind of let people be aware of it. But um, 
you start thinking in 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 the business sense, but then at the same time you come back to the reality. And certainly with social media, you know, people sending me photos of you know daddy or mummy reading the hairy fairy to the child and so forth. They kind of go, wow, you know, yeah, that's what I set out to do, and and that's what's happening. Um, so you get a bit of kind of reality back, and then it's straight back onto the wagon of you know selling, marketing, promotion. You know, is the the next instalment of the next book close to being published, or is it still in the pipeline in your head, or where is that at? No, the second book is um, will be published next year, um, early next year, and that that's called the the snail that couldn't fail. And again, um, it's it's about a snail that thought he'd failed but in fact he wasn't the snail that failed um, and it's I've, I've managed to get um, my own illustrator this time so in the hairy fairy it was the publishers who I worked with for the illustrations um, for this book I've got my my own illustrator a lady called Lucy Fletcher who is a brilliant brilliant artist um, and I just kind of gave her a call one day, known, known her for years, um, but mainly now as acquaintance, and she was just delighted. So uh, I'm excited about the next installment, the next book, but at the same time vigilant that I've got a lot of work still to do with this book. And then, of course, it's, you know, when you're, you know, building your brand, building my target market, and so forth, and the awareness is that the next book comes out that then builds a momentum for the hairy fairy. The second book, the third book, which is called um, Heron McFerrin, um, again, it, it produces sales and produces an interest in all the other books as well. So it's not just there's one product and then hallelujah, that's great. It's I'm then promoting three products simultaneously. Yes. Does that make sense yeah. to you? And it, there should be a residual then coming in for that. Um, and you know, I think for me as well, you know, since I got the publishing deal and so forth, is that it, it's kind of it's given me this. I've given myself a a license, if you like, to write, um, which I, it was a guilty pleasure in the past. If that makes sense to you, I'm sure you might understand. I do surely. I do surely. What I'm saying about that, yeah, um, it's given me that license and. Um, I write whenever I can now, you know, if someone needs something, I'll do that. You know, I ended up writing murder mystery plays, uh, writing community magazines and, and so forth. And that, you know, even from things like that, creates something new and then gathers interest from other people to go, ah, Johnny Willocks, yeah, he writes, contact him. You know, so right. it, it opens opens doors for you. Um, and of course, want to be in the position where that's all you're doing is, is writing. Um, you know, I've got, after these three books, I've got a series of books um, called The End of the Rainbow. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing, start writing those. Um, I want to finish this um, Becoming Dad and so forth. So in a sense, I'm picking up what you said earlier on is that from from having nothing published to now I've got at least, you know, in the pipeline and things that are going to be, I've got five and six books on the go at the same time, yeah. where two years ago, I didn't have any. 
but that, you know, yeah. so it's, it's but it's all it's all very very real. Like it is all very very real for you, and um, you know it's now it's all about the next step. It's all about momentum, as you said. Like it's all about just keeping it keeping the momentum going. It's very easy to sit back and stop, or or for some, it's very easy to sit back and stop and think that that's. But it's only the beginning for you, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that in itself is is exciting, um, but. You have to you have to keep going. You have to keep going with what your product is and fine tuning it and and making it better and wanting the next one to be even better and even better and even better and you know and that comes with with doing and, and not thinking. And so come back to that that teacher I had. You know that that kind of the first validation that you can write is when you finish writing something. The second validation is whenever you've got the confidence to go to somebody and say, "Can you publish it?" the validation of them publishing it or reading it and passing it on to somebody else and then passing it on to somebody else and then passing it on to somebody else. And the fact yeah. that you're telling stories to 600 or five or 600 children at the same time proves that, you know, that skill has been really finely tuned over those how many years of study and practice and repetition and failure. And failure is a really big, um, an intended consequence of all your work because there's no, you're not going to write one thing and be successful immediately. It just doesn't happen that way. So failure has to be a consequence that you intend. You must yeah. want to, or at least be able to endure failure at any point in this process. Selling is the same thing. You're, you're gonna do 10 sales pitches or presentations and expect to fail in five of them, or six of them, or seven, or 10, and then go yeah. again. And so it's about right. the resilience and your ability to, to get up and just, you know, just, not stop just keep going and keep going and keep going and it's really to your it credit is. man it's just, i think it's a yeah. brilliant story in its own right look when i was when i was um, talking about when i was in i don't know say be equivalent over in england say p7 is that p6 p7 you know they noticed there was something wrong with my um english in terms of not speaking but written word so i had to have had extra tuition and so forth and i find that the most humiliating and embarrassing thing because I was no good at English. Um, and that that scarred me for a while in terms of, you know, obviously I wouldn't go to bed at night crying over it, but um, it scarred my confidence. And so during obviously my secondary years growing up again, you know, I'm no good at English. I'm no good, I'm no good. Yet the irony is that this is the one thing that I, I love doing and want to do and, and practice every day, you know, and that's the key is that it's practice, practice, practice. Yeah, love, yeah. Love, loving loving what you do is, is kind of important too. And if, yeah. you, if, you, if you want to get into flow, then you have to at least enjoy the grind. You have to love the, the being in the moment and being in the middle of it. And you have to almost love the failure because it inspires you to work a little bit harder. Johnny, I'm, yeah. con I'm conscious of, of the time we promised we would talk about. We've, this is um, very kind of you to devote this time. It's really fascinating, man. Really grateful yeah. for, for you, for you sharing, sharing that uh, from every angle. People wanted to get in touch with you. You've got johnnywillocks.com as a good point. Is that your website? Um, Johnny at johnnywillocks.com is your email. email. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And your book is available through Waterstones, Smiths, Smiths, Foils, Amazon, um, some others as well, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, Waterstones. Did I say that? 
I'll, I'll leave. I'm going to put all the um, locations in the show notes. But um, good luck with the rest of the publishing. Good luck with the sales of this and the marketing of it. I hope it flies for you. I'm sure it will do. Um, and really massively grateful for you spending an hour and a half of the hottest day of the year stuck inside um, talking to me. So that's a penalty in itself. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're always a pleasure to talk to. It's easy to talk to. So thank you. Cheers. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Cheers, Johnny. All, right. all, all okay. the best, man. Take care. Speak soon.